0: Have you ever heard the phrase, everything happens for a reason? Maybe you've used the phrase, everything happens for a reason. Of course, it begs for an answer. Well, what is the reason? What was the reason for that? When we face the catastrophes that we have, when we see the heinous crimes and the suffering and the irreparable damage that has been done to innocence, it makes us ask what was the purpose in that? What was the reason for that? One of the first sermons I ever preached here 32 years ago, and it may have been the first sermon, was a sermon entitled, So That. So That. As I conclude this series on the Lord's Prayer, that prayer that Jesus taught us not only to pray but to live, we come to the last statement. We call it the doxology of the Lord's Prayer. It's included in some versions. It's not included in others. Even in the Bible, in the book of Matthew, it's included in the book of Luke, it's not. Some of you grew up Catholic. And if you're a Catholic, you weren't taught to say this doxology. When we Protestants grew up, we were taught it for a very simple reason. In many of the ancient manuscripts, it's not included. In many others, it is included. In the, in the uh, Didache, it's the, it's the tutorial um, catechism. Uh, that was made in the first century, just a few decades after Christ walked the face of the earth. It's included. And so Protestants just include it. But there's a very good reason. There is a, there is a tradition in, in Judaism, in our mother religion, uh, of the Kadesh. Kadesh is, is that um, amen statement, um, that praise be to God statement that comes in between the Psalms. And so this almost fits into that kind of pattern that Jesus would have not left us just simply with a request to God. Give me this day our daily bread. Give us our forgiveness. Lead us not into temptation. Probably just wouldn't have ended there without at least some sort of the uh, implication that there's a Kadesh. For thine is the kingdom, it says in Matthew chapter 6 verse 13, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It's important for us to understand that when we talk about phrases like, you know, there's a reason for everything. I'm sure there's a reason for that. We just don't know it. It's important that when we hear phrases like that or use phrases like that, we don't just use it to manage pain. We don't just use it to distance ourselves from any responsibility of knowing what that was all about. Because I want to show you something very important in the Bible that this doxology brings to us. And that is the purpose for many things that we go through is not yet established it is an invitation these words you know everything has a reason they're an invitation for us to establish the reason that it happened let me show you interesting things in scripture okay first of all i want you to see in matthew chapter 13 Verses 31 and 32, and this is the the text that I used 32 years ago in my first sermon here. It says, he he presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all of the seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants, and it becomes a tree. Now, many people in their theology just stop there. And they say, you know, God wants to make great things out of small things. And they think the great, greatness comes in the size or in the multiplication. No, 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 no. Look at the last part of this verse. So that, there are the words, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. That is, it has a purpose beyond growth. It has a purpose of service. To those around it. Now let me show you something even more interesting. A couple of more so that's in the life of Jesus. There came a time in um, John chapter 9 when Jesus and his disciples came across a blind man. Now as I say this to you, let me tell you there are a lot of people who will want to explain to you the reason for something in your li- that happened in your life and they'll be wrong. There's a lot of really bad theologians out there. There were a lot of bad theologians in Jesus' day, because they believed if somebody was suffering, it was because somebody had sinned. And so they went, when they come across this blind man in, in John chapter 9, the disciples say, well, who sinned? Why is this man blind? Who sinned? Was it him or his parents? Now watch this. In Jesus nine three, this is what Jesus said. Jesus answered, "It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the words of God might be dis- or the works of God might be displayed in him." Now let me point something out to you. Those works had not yet come into being. Jesus Himself was about to give the the um, the answer or the 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 um, implementation of the so that in other words so that is not an explanation it's an invitation there are many reasons that we won't know on the face of this earth they just they happen and there's nothing we can do about them and there's no response we have to them I'm fully convinced that when we get to heaven We will know why everything happened. I'm convinced of that because it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Then ye shall know fully, even as ye have been fully known. I'm convinced of this. But I'm just as convinced that people don't take the Lord up on the invitation to be a part of the good, the good reason and the good purpose, the so that... That circumstances present us. It's so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then Jesus healed him. Let me give you another example. In John 11, chapter 4. You remember, John, uh, um, uh, that, that uh, Jesus had a friend, Lazarus. And you know that Lazarus lay dying, and his sisters sent for Jesus, and Jesus delayed and finally, they sent word that Lazarus had died. And then the Bible says something very interesting. The, it, it gives Jesus' response. Watch this. John 11, chapter, verse 4, it says, But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death. Now, wait a minute. He'd already died, he'd already died. He was buried all right and then he says this sickness is not to end in death but for the glory of god look at these words so that the son of god may be glorified by it you see the reason was not yet implemented but the invitation was there everything happens for a reason jesus went you remember this don't you and he stood in front of that tomb where that man had been buried for days. And he called out the man's name, Lazarus. And they said, oh, don't do that. He's probably stinking by now. And here comes Lazarus. And he looks at his disciples. That'd be us. And he said something very important. Unbind him and let him go forth. To be a part of God's so that it's not just a non explanation, it is an invitation. And so, therefore, this wonderful turn of events now, watch this this wonderful turn of events brings us back to the To the doxology at the end of the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus taught us to pray and taught us to live, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, what was he saying? He was saying, I want the purpose of your life to conclude every event with pointing to God and serving others. You see, doxology simply means this. Doxa means glory. It's the Greek word for glory. Logia means word or to speak. So it means to speak the glory of God, to communicate the glory of God. What is the glory of God? There's, there's, there's two very simple elements, and it follows the Great commandment: Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and your neighbor as your yourself, your neighbor as yourself. So what is the glory of God? It's to honor God and to serve people in a way that gives them the dignity of being made in the image of God. Those two things give God glory. You see, we worship, honoring God. That's what we've done this morning. But then we go serve. Service is just worship with skin on. And it glorifies God. You know, one of the most prolific and the most brilliant geniuses when it came to musical composition was Johann Sebastian Bach. All of you know that name. What you may know not know about um, um, Bach was that he was a devoted Christian and with every composition he, end, he started it the same way and he ended it the same way with initials the initials he started every one of his musical compositions were J.J. Yezu Yovu uh, I'm sorry Yezu Yuva Jesus help me that's what it means. Jesu Yuva. Jesus, help me. And then he would create what had never been created before, what could only come out of him. And at the end of every musical composition, he ended with these letters. And you can see them on every one of his compositions. S-D-G. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Not a bad way to compose every one of our days. We start out by saying this. Yezu Yuva, Jesus help me. That is a good beginning prayer for your everyday life. And then you compose that life as best you can. And you end it up by saying, God, I... I hope I did something to honor you. I hope I did something to love somebody in a way that treats them with dignity and honor because to you alone belongs the glory that 's how Jesus taught us to pray, and that 's how Jesus taught us to live. when Jesus prayed that last part, I want you to know he was he was praying from First Chronicles, chapter 29, verse 11. Let me me read that with you. It says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Uh, 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 Yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. He took that first line. And he used that as a template of how we ought to live above all of the fray, all of the distractions of our everyday life that seems so important and so powerful if we could only cut through and say, God, just let me see you and let me focus on you. Did I ever tell you about how Billy Graham made me feel like an idiot one day? I may have told a few of you this, but let me tell you the story. I was reminded this week because um, an African-American bishop uh, called me up, and he has just been invited to uh, be a part of President Trump's uh, spiritual advisory committee. Um, And he doesn't really fit, you know, that template very well. Um, and, And he knows he's already getting pushed back. He's already getting beat up. He's already losing people and and so on and so forth. And so he he called me up. He said, Dr. Hunt, I know you've been through this. And he said, I I want your your honest counsel on what to do. He said, I know when you were part of Barack Obama's spiritual advisory committee and, and as a personal friend, as a personal spiritual advisor, that you got beat up a lot and you lost members and, and, and everything was politicized and, and culture wars and, 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 you know, political parties and all of that kind of stuff. What do I do? I said, let me tell you a story. This is a true story. When I first was invited to, um, to kind of join the team, they invited me to say, uh, some of you remember this the benediction for the Democratic National Convention in, in 2008 in the Denver um, um, football stadium, 80,000 people, 80,000 people. And, and, and it got, the word got around that I had been invited, and some of the main, and I won't name them, but some of the main evangelical leaders of the country were incensed that I would even consider this. And 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 uh, because right away they politicized it, right away they culture warred it, right away they 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 told me the consequences of such a such an action. And one of them said, and again I won't name the name, before you do this, I want you to talk to Billy Graham. You know, Billy Graham's you know been with more presidents, he'd been through all this, but I want you to talk to Billy Graham, because he was sure Billy Graham just talked me out of it. So I said, okay. <laughs> So I called Billy Graham up at an arranged time. Now, but by this time, Billy Graham is in his 90s. He's he's frail. You know, he can just hardly talk. So I kind of explained the situation. I said, "What what would you be your counsel?" There's this pause, and this is what I hear. Uh, you're a pastor, aren't you? Now he knew I was a pastor. That wasn't a real question. That was a rhetorical question. You're a pastor, aren't you? I said, yeah. He said, when somebody asks a pastor to pray, they pray. Duh. (laughs) Felt like an idiot. Not the first time or the last time, but in the presence of such prominence, felt especially like an idiot. Do you see what he did? He went right to God. He said, do you have a chance to point to God? Why would you not point to God? He didn't consider the, the politics. He didn't consider the culture. He didn't consider the consequences. He considered God. When you have a chance to point to God, you point to God. To him alone be the glory. That's it. It was that simple. Uh, he went on after that. He knew what I felt like. And so he, if we had a longer conversation than that. And, and, you know, he told me some other anecdotes and so on and so forth. But, but, but I, want, I want all of us to understand there's so much distraction in this world, reasons that look real. But every time you have a chance to honor God with your mouth or with your behavior, every time you have a chance to point to God. You point to God. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And then I want you to know this. I said there are two ways to glorify God. One is to point to him. But the other is to love your neighbor in such a way it gives them the dignity that they have because they are created in the image of God. There are two ways that you can help people. One way makes them weaker. But another way empowers them to be stronger. One way makes them ashamed for needing help. But another way gives them the dignity of someone who serves them Purely out of the honor of serving. Do the second way. And don't ever, and this is the second to the last time I'll get to talk with you, don't ever settle for leaving someone out because they don't fit. Don't ever settle. For somehow making an excuse as to why somebody there is in the situation there they are, I heard a story one time about a young pastor who had just been assigned to his first church. And it was this old rundown it used to be a great church, but now it was this old Gothic building in the middle of the inner city, and they only had a couple of dozen members left, all of them older and HE WENT THERE, AND HE CLIMBED UP TO THE HEIGHTS OF THIS CHURCH TO LOOK ACROSS THE CITY, AND WHAT HE SAW WAS PITIFUL. IT WAS POOR, RUN DOWN. IT WAS GARBAGE EVERYWHERE. THERE WERE PEOPLE SITTING ON THE STOOP. THERE WERE PEOPLE STAGGERING. THERE WERE PEOPLE IN DIRE POVERTY. THEY WERE CRYING, AND HE JUST LOOKED OUT AT THAT SCENE, AND TEARS WELLED UP IN HIS EYES. And the church leader who was with him tried to make him feel better. And he said, don't worry. After you're here for a while, you'll get used to it. And he said, I know. That's why I'm crying. Don't ever get used to it. There are people who are on the outside. Don't ever get used to it. There are people who are working hard every day just to get a little food for their family. And we try to justify it by saying, well, Jesus said the poor will always be with you. So therefore, the poor will always be with us. No, don't get used to it. Don't accept it. It's why we're still here. There are people who are living without hope. And we say, well, that's the way it is. There will always be people without hope. No, don't get used to it. Don't settle for it. That's why we're still here. There are people who will not step foot in a church. And you say, well, that's just how it is. They just don't want to come to church. No. Don't get used to it. I'm going out. I'm going to find them. I've spent 47 years in the church. I'm not staying in the church anymore. That's why I'm I'm not not going to get used to it. And don't you either. The church is a wonderful place. And Northland is especially wonderful. But sometimes if we stick together, we can just get used to the idea that there will always be people who are left out. Always be people who feel estranged from God, and that's just the way it is. No, there's a purpose for everything, and you are part of that purpose. Amen. There's a reason for everything, and we are that reason. I told you, and I'm going to go just two more minutes. That during these last couple of weeks or last few weeks, I'd probably walk down memory lane. And, and I've, I'm not a very emotional guy. I, I mean, I, I get there sometimes. I do. I meant to say I'm not a very nostalgic guy. I don't look back a lot. I don't. I, I, I always look forward. I'm always a future guy. But this week, for some reason, I pulled out my journal, my, my schedule, 40 years ago i said i wonder what i was doing in 1977 this week in 1977. so i pulled it out and there were a couple of things that i i remember doing one was i was going to a meeting to create the gibson county association for retarded citizens this was not a church group because the church didn't know what to do with with people of disability we We have access ministry, and we're so honored that we are more full and more whole because everyone is welcome here. But it didn't used to be like that. It didn't used to be like that. And so I I had to go out from the church in order to be a part of a group that would include those people. And I remember as as a young pastor, just pushing 30 Having big dreams that someday people who aren't included will be included and they'll have family and they'll have a support network. Well I'm an old pastor now, and I'm pushing 70, and I've still got those same dreams. I won't settle. I remember in that week, I had a funeral. Of a 90-year-old, 97-year-old, I think he was 93 years old. His name was Clem Grubbs. I'll never forget him as long as I live. He used to be, back in the old days, the most violent, vile, drunk in town. He was big, and he was mean, and everybody was afraid of him, especially his wife. But his wife was a part of the church that I had just come to as a pastor. She used to be. And years before, when he would get drunk, he would get mean, and he would beat on everyone, including his wife. And he would curse, and he would strike terror into everybody in his path. And one night, his wife was at a revival meeting in the church that I had just come to as a pastor. She—this is, This is years ago. This is way before my time as a pastor. And Clem came in drunk, and he was mad. And he walked in that door cussing, and he was looking for his wife, and he was going to beat her in front of everybody. And he just started walking through there, but the preacher didn't sit down. The preacher was about to give the altar call, and so he went on giving the altar call. And God grabbed a hold of Clem Grubbs's heart. And he stood there, and he listened to that invitation. And he went down. And he knelt at that altar and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he was so radically changed that in the months that came after that, half the town got saved. Because everybody was thinking if God came after Clem, he's coming after me. And I remember going to visit him when he was so old and so shrunken and so weak. His false teeth didn't fit him anymore and they just clatter around in his mouth and he just wanted to go be with Jesus. What an honor to do his funeral. But I remember thinking not every Clem Grub stumbles into a church. We've got to go find him. We've got to go find him. That's why we're still here. Because there are two ways of glorifying God. One is to give him honor directly. And the other is to give him honor by serving those whom he has created in his image with dignity. Pray with me. Lord, thank you that we're still here and that everything does have a reason, only some things we have yet to enact the reason. Help us to respond to our purpose, not only by searching, but by serving. Help us to be a part of the purpose When catastrophe or pain, when alienation or hopelessness is all around us, help us to be a part of your purpose so that we can be like Jesus. Amen.